Extra Daily Planet Extra. Hold on, Lex. I'm picking up something. Does that asteroid look unusual to you? I got the alert. What's up? Initial reports are some kind of creature. If anyone's watching this, send help. This monster's killing everyone. Man of Scream. Alert. Three leaguers down and we only just got here. Need backup now. Been identified and is rumored to have left members of the Justice League wounded or near death. There's one thing I can't stand it's a bully. We need you, Clark. Don't hold back, or he'll kill everyone. I don't know where you came from. But I'm sending you back. You can't go back after that thing. It's suicide. I have to get back to work. This city needs me. You think it might kill Superman? It would save me a lot of trouble. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 20 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode I'm going to provide my thoughts on the recently released animated movie, The Death of Superman, which was released on August 7th as a uh, on Blu-ray and uh, previously in the month on digital. And I'm going to cover this movie in the form of a, of a commentary, I'm gonna do, and I'm going to do that for a couple of reasons. The uh, first reason being that I am... You know, as far as the main show goes, kind of right up against the weeks that I'm releasing episodes, so I don't really have a lot of time for a ton of editing, so I just kind of want to get this done and uh, release it uh, into the world with minimal effort, at least on the post-production end, so I'm going to go with a format that's not going to require any editing, so today's the main reason for that. Alright, so I'm going to get right into this. Uh, before I get started on my commentary, though, I want to address some feedback from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen Extra episode number... 19, in which Bob Fisher and I talked about Krypton. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike and Bob. It was good to hear the two of you together in this episode. You always have such good and interesting conversations. When Krypton was announced, I read the premise and was on the fence about watching it. The frequent joke, of course, is that Krypton only existed in order to blow up. In fact, I think John Byrne said something along the lines that when readers saw his version of Krypton, they'd be happy it blew up. I grew up, though, with Krypton of the Silver Age which was a planet-wide version of the 1964 New York World's Fair, and I loved that. I could well understand Superman's occasional choked sob whenever he would reflect on the tragic loss of not only his parents, but an entire world, bigger than Earth. Oh, poor Batman, boo-hoo, he lost his parents. Well, my whole planet blew up, rich boy. That's a little bit of Dave's commentary in there. The publicity still shots for Krypton made it look like a dark and gritty place, and I don't especially like dark and gritty in connection with Superman. As I saw more about the show before it was released, I thought, wait, Brainiac is coming for Kandor during the youth of Superman's grandfather 200 years before Kyle was born? No, Kandor is taken during Jor-El's lifetime, according to my memory of the Silver Age. So I guess I could well have been one of those, I'm not watching that, not my Krypton fanboys. Then I saw some of the trailers and I was intrigued. It was still clearly not the Krypton I grew up with, but it did somewhat remind me of the Krypton from the movie Man of Steel, and that part of the movie was the best part, as far as I'm concerned. I thought I'd start watching and see how it went. After all, if I didn't like it, I could just stop. But once I started, the storylines drew me in. Here was Adam Strange, a boyhood favorite of mine, although again, not the version I'm used to. 
Here was Brainiac, a real-looking, truly scary Brainiac. Here was time travel, which is always fascinating. Overall, here were the Krypton and Kryptonians that were different from what I'm used to, but still interesting. I've decided that if this is an alternate Krypton, not a hoax, but maybe a dream or imaginary story, or maybe Krypton from a different part of the multiverse, is that back to being the thing now? And I'm in it for the long haul. I think Colin Salmon is the best version of Drew Zod I've ever seen in animation, movies, TV, and even comic books. He gives us a three-dimensional character with believable motivation, whether you agree with him or not, and an intensity that makes him a worthy adversary for both Brainiac and Superman. We viewers also have a lot to chew on. What timeline-altering disaster the time did Adam Strange intend to avert, Brainiac or Zod, and is that the right choice? Should any of the Kryptonians faced with the choice of saving their entire civilization or letting it die to save a single life generations in the future? Can a living computer like Brainiac ever really be destroyed? Did Candle alter the timeline so that Detroit got bottled? Not that Adam Strange's location at the end of Season 1 seems to suggest to me. I have questions. Questions I have. Money? Eh, no money. Like Professor... No money. Like Professor Van Wyck from The Deadly Rock, Season 4, Episode 11 of The Adventures of Superman. I have one point on which I differ from Bob, though. I don't think this series should end with the launching of kal rocket. I think it should end with the wedding of Jor-El and Lyra. We all know the story from there, and I'd rather see it end on a seemingly high note even though we, the viewers, know of the coming tragedy. Again, thank both of you for a really enjoyable episode. Live long and prosper, Dave. Oh, and Dave also wrote a PS here, saying that yes, he would very much like to hear feedback from some of the other listeners. Come on, people. This is a fun podcast, and it's free. The least you can do is let people know you appreciate it. So I appreciate that uh, that sentiment, Dave. And as I mentioned on a recent uh, episode of the uh, proper version of, of the uh, podcast, yes, I'm hoping to hear from more of you. So uh, get your... Uh, Emails in, manascreen at gmail.com. Just a few points in Dave's letter that I wanted to address. You know, I was kind of the same way about Krypton when I first started hearing about it. You know, I wasn't really that interested in the story of Jarrell's grandfather. And I guess I'm still not, really. But I was really intrigued by the time travel element. I had mentioned before when I covered the time trap, that time travel is one of my favorite uh, science fiction concepts of that and parallel universes and alternate timelines. So, you know... You throw in some time travel, and you're kind of uh, begging me to watch. And the love of time travel has started for me with the Back to the Future and Terminator films, and really just grown from there. So, it, like I said, it was really the time travel element that drew me to the show. And one of the things that I think became that Bob and I came up with was that it's unknown what Adam Strange was really preventing. I guess we would need Adam Strange to tell us that. I'm not even sure Adam Strange knew Zod was was into the past. I think the working theory that Bob and I came up with was that. Brainiac did indeed travel into the past to bottle Candor earlier. If he bottles Candor and takes Segel with it, then Kal-El is not going to be born. Jor-El is not going to be born, and by extension, Kal-El. Because I was going through the show, and I think a lot of viewers were on, working under the assumption that they couldn't save Candor because, because Candor needed to be taken. And once it was revealed that Zod did, did the time traveling, I kind of assumed that the Brainiac we encountered was the Brainiac of the past. If, in fact, the Brainiac we saw in Krypton is the Brainiac of the present, there's still a Brainiac coming for Kandor in Jor-El's time. So if Zod is taken down and the timeline restored to the way it should be, there could still be a Brainiac coming for Kandor a hundred or so years later. Oh, and I'm also right with you on uh, Colin Salmon Zod. He really took Zod to a new level, you know? We... He's always been kind of a two-dimensional ruler, and even in Man of Steel, one-dimensional by design. I mean, that character, all the lack of characterization for Zod in Man of Steel can be 
almost laid at the feet of the story and the fact that in that universe he was created to be one-dimensional and have no other uh, wants or desires. But no, I really did like uh, Colin Salmon as Zod, uh, and you know, you always, you always want to, you know, give a little chuckle when Terrence Stamp yells out for somebody to kneel before Zod. Ooh, like, like I said to Bob when he was on, when I watched Colin Salmon deliver that line, I was ready to kneel before Zod right in my living room. So, but you know, Dave, all of your questions are good ones. All these questions are not answered as of yet. We still got season two, and however long this show goes, so I guess we'll see. And as far as you and Bob go, I'm going to split the difference on how this series should end. I don't think this is going. This show is going to get to the wedding of Jorel and Lara unless there are some unless there are some huge time jumps along the way. But you know, if it end, if it were to end there, I wouldn't mind seeing like a little montage. You know, some voiceover narration and a montage. You know, kind of going right from the wedding to the uh, to the ship uh, leaving Earth. I do agree with Bob though that the last shot of the show sh- should be Kal-El on his way to Earth, just like the last shot of Smallville was. Clark turning into Superman. So, Thank you, Dave, for writing in. Anybody else who wants to write in, manascreen at gmail.com. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with my commentary on the death of Superman. Hang around, folks. Hey, everyone. I'm Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. You might remember us from such show as From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Whatever happened to that show? Well, it went away, and now it's back. We're back? That's right. After taking a year off and having a preview episode on April 1st, all new episodes of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast will be available for download or subscription on your favorite podcatcher starting on May 30th, 2018. We have a lot to talk about right away, like the aftermath of the death of Clark Kent... The end of Season 2 of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. All of the Superman-related annuals under the Year One banner. Superman v. Aliens, dawn of a really good crossover. And so much more as we continue through the triangle-numbered books and the related books for the second half of 1995 as we gear up for that line-wide crossover, Underworld Unleashed. Starring the newly revived Lex Luthor and the Superman crossover, The Trial of Superman. And right around the corner, there's a wedding and a major change for both the costume and powers of the Man of Steel. There's a wedding? Who's getting married? Plus, the side titles, miniseries, and one-shots that we've been really excited to tackle. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Covering the post-crisis on Infinite Earths era of Superman. New episodes drop on Thursdays, mostly. Unless they don't, but there's usually a very good excuse. Show notes, images from the comics covered, and back episodes can be found at www.fortressofbailytude.com. My name is Bob Fisher, and I'm the host of the Superman Forever Radio Podcast. On the Superman Forever Radio Podcast, I talk about Superman from 1938 to present day. 
And in 2018, we celebrate the 80th anniversary of The Man of Steel's first appearance in Action Comics with a full year of new episodes, more episodes, plus new features like The Adventures of Superman When He Was a Boy. Superboy is coming to the Superman Forever radio podcast. Also, the Superman Forever Roundtable Discussion Group, where I gather together some of the best Superman podcasters around, and we talk Superman. So if you want to know why I've been a Superman fan for over 60 years, point your favorite podcatcher to the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. All right, welcome back, folks. I'm all queued up with uh, my digital copy of The Death of Superman. I have it set to 000 right before the Warner Brothers animation logo comes up on the screen. So if you're ready, I'm going to start that in 3, 2, 1, and now. Okay, the logo is coming up. Logo just went, and here we're getting that new uh, DC logo thing that uh, Warner Brothers has been putting in front of all of uh, DC-related properties. There's Cyborg, Flash, Green Lantern. So Anyway, so I saw this movie for the first time last night. I had it uh, shipped to me by Amazon.com. I didn't get any kind of promotional copy, never asked for one, nor would I expect one. And I really liked this movie. It was, you know, I remember, you know, Superman Doomsday. Superman Doomsday didn't really touch on, you know, it was its own story. You know, it just incorporated certain elements like the Doomsday's attack on Metropolis and the death of Superman and what everything meant, what Superman meant to Metropolis. It was the first DC animated movie. And it really... I'm sure WB Animation didn't have the confidence to do the story right. You really have to, can have to do this story right in multiple films, and you can't do this story justice in one. This movie will basically just be the, basically the death of Superman and a little bit of the funeral. Right now, we're getting our first taste of... Uh, some of the post-crisis Superman elements that I loved so much from a kid, the death of Superman was around the time. The death of Superman is what got me into the comics, you know, on a full-time basis. I started reading with with the Doom. I started reading with the Doomsday Arc and just kind of, kind of started collecting from there for the next eight or so years. So right now we're seeing intergang. Uh, Kidnapping the mayor, and I believe that's his deputy, and Maggie Sawyer and uh, Dan Turpin. Two huge uh, post-crisis staples are are showing up to try to save them. At the moment, we're just kind of waiting for Superman to show up and clean up this mess. Uh, Intergang wearing these uh, green suits, and there's cables coming out of it. Dan Turpin doesn't look kind of looks a little bit like Jack Kirby, based on uh, his appearance in uh, Superman the Animated Series. Maybe a little uh, 
a little bigger. I the animation is very good. Uh, and having been used to watching uh, Super Friends for the past uh, few months and the filmations before that, I'm not really used to animation so su- expressive. And here's Superman tapping on the shoulder and uh, taking these guys out. And here's how he's moving at super speed, moving everybody around. And this is Jerry O'Connell's, I want to say, fourth appearance as Superman. He originated the role as this quote-unquote New 52 Superman in Justice League versus Teen Titans. He reprised the role in... No, he started with Throne of Atlantis, then Justice League Teen Titans. He had a small role in Justice League Dark, and this is his fourth appearance as Superman. And one of the hopes when I heard about this a year ago is that and I'm not even sure if it was a hope as much as just something I had assumed it would do because DC had done this in the past when they did, you know, adaptations of their comic stories. I had assumed that they put Superman back in the classic costume. And especially this was announced around the time that Rebirth was happening and and even now back in April with the tights with the classic costume coming back to the comics. But no, he's still wearing his new 52 costume in this, which I could do without. I don't like the high collar in the costume. I never did from the moment I saw it in 2011 before the new 52. But I could get on board with this costume, if not for a few with a few changes. Yeah, I love that the trunks are back in the comics, but I can, I'm can, i kind of okay without them. And as Bibbo comes onto the screen, Bibbo, another uh, big uh, post-crisis uh, character, kind of a logshoreman who uh, you know, worked on the docks and then won the Ace of Clubs uh, when he... Uh, Accidentally uh, found uh, Jose Delgado's lottery ticket after he uh, took a blown out of Jose's pocket. Here's Jimmy taking a picture of uh, Bibbo and uh, Superman. Love that shot. Love seeing uh, Superman hanging around and talking to people, especially uh, people like Bibbo. You know, the recent movies we haven't really seen much of this. And take note, you know, for the live action folks, this is what Superman is. Oh, and here's the Flash showing up. What was I saying? Oh, about the costume. Wow. I don't mind this costume apart from the turtleneck. I pro- If this costume had the turtleneck and, you know, more of the classic boots, I would probably like it more than the Henry Cavill costume, which I don't believe has enough red in it. So... I don't mind the red belt, but I just hate that high collar. And I prefer the yellow S on the cape and not the uh, black and red one. Very glad that they brought that back into the comics. But they wanted to fit this into their current DC animated movie continuity. So if you want to do that... 
then you have to leave him in this costume. Because there's really no reason to change his costume. Why would Superman just change his costume on a whim? There, there would have to be some kind of story reason for him to change his costume. One of the things that's annoying me kind of in the comics right now, despite the fact that I'm glad they brought the red briefs back, I do think they add a bit of balance to the costume. I, at least at the moment, there's no in-story reason for Superman to have changed his costume from what he was wearing, basically a trunkless costume, to what he's wearing now. Maybe something will happen down the road, uh, I don't know. So right now, uh, Superman and Lois are in Star Labs. They're looking at uh, Superman's ship. I'm going to turn this off my headphones so I can hear what they're saying. So basically what they're doing is they're studying Superman's uh, ship. And, you know, I should have noticed this earlier when I watched the film. And they're pulling a crystal out of the ship. So that's going to become important later at the uh, end of the movie. So this is very, the crystal, this is very Richard Donner-esque. And I've made my feelings very clear on what, on Richard Donner's Fortress. And I'll make them very clear again during Superman the Movie Month, which at the moment is scheduled for October. I liked the Donner Krypton for its time. But after, with it now being the 40th anniversary of Superman the Movie, it is time for... fandom and the creatives to kind of move on from it. Allow something new to take its place. So right now they're, uh, Superman touched a crystal and they're learning about Krypton. Sorry about that, I'm gonna I can't edit, so I'm going to have to take uh, random drinks throughout this to uh, keep my vessel wet. Obviously, there's closeness here between Superman and Lois. And I knew, and this is funny, this woman pushing a baby stroller, saying hi to Superman, and he's clearly enjoying the attention, and I'm not sure Lois uh, is enjoying it nearly as much. And like I mentioned, Jerry O'Connell is doing pretty good with this. And the Lois Lane is voiced by O'Connell's wife, Rebecca Romaine. So the chemistry uh, there is, well, the chemistry is there, basically. So I knew from my knowledge of the Death of Superman story that Lois was going to know Superman's identity, and honestly, when I watched this for the first time, I thought he already knew, that she already knew, but the movie will prove me wrong as Superman lands Lois at the planet.
and flies, and he's going to fly off here in a minute. And Lois is now coming out of the elevator when she bumps right into Clark, which is a classic Clark thing to do. And you watch their interaction here. You saw the way she was talking to Superman, and she's not necessarily treating him the same way. This is the... Uh, she She's basically ignoring him, kind of going the... The way Lois treats Clark when she doesn't know he's Superman. But there they go. They're going into the storeroom. And she shoves him against the wall and jumps his bones a little bit. And to be honest, I thought at this point they were just kind of fooling around and uh, that she did know. But it's... uh, I thought that she knew he was Superman, and it's clearly that she doesn't know because he's making excuses, and apparently making excuses to get away from her is something he's still doing, and and you can tell that it's annoying her. This is where we found out, where we find out that uh, Clark apparently hasn't told his parents that he's dating Lois. She uh, decided that they keep it secret at work, but uh, he doesn't necessarily want it to be a secret from his parents. I don't know if it is. But apparently this is the first time Clark has taken a woman home, so... He, what am, what am I going to find out? There's a landmine. She's going to find out that he was more, that he's not more than a huge dork. I've got the uh, captioning on as I'm talking. So I'm not uh, missing any of the dialogue. Some, I'll be honest, I watched this last night. You know, it's the summer. It's hot in my house. I don't have central air. So I have all kinds of fans going, and... The one thing that sucks about watching movies in the summer is that... The fans can drown out a lot of dialogue. To the point where I'll turn the surround sound up. To, uh... You know, louder than I would want to, so I can hear the dialogue over the fan, but then the explosions will, uh... It'll kind of shake the house. But but here is uh, John Henry Irons uh, flashing a uh, Superman t-shirt. Superman comments on it. And and John makes a quick comment about how he and Superman have met before on the high steel. For those of you who remember the origin of John Henry Irons from the comics back in the early 90s. I mean, this is not something that was revealed until John debuted in... Man of Steel 22, I want to say. Let's see. 18 and 19 were... Doomsday. 20 and 21 were... Funeral. So yeah, 22 was when he uh, made his official uh, 
debut when we actually learned anything about the character. We saw him for the first time in Adventures of Superman number 500. But, basically, and I assume we're going to learn this in the next movie, Reign of the Superman, that John Henry Irons, pretty much uh, his love for Superman, I guess we'll call it, comes from Superman having saved him. And the way it went in the comics is Superman saved him after John was trying to save his buddy uh, Pete Skywalker, of all things. And uh, so he swung out and caught the guy, put him back on the girder, and then his own cable fell. Superman caught him. John says, I owe you my life. And Superman tells him to uh, make it count for something. So there's that. Here is uh, Lex Luthor for the first time looking uh, bald and all uh, feng shui. Superman uh, kind of threw a piece of the intergang suit at Lex. You can see on his foot there, he's wearing one of those uh, house arrest bracelets. So, he's got one of those devices, and he's got some kryptonite stones on it. But it's not really affecting Superman in any way. Oh, because it's not real kryptonite. I missed that when I watched it last night. So we have to remember here that... Uh, Lex Luthor is bald because we're going to see something a little bit later that I'm going to mention. So, apparently Superman is accusing Lex of being involved with what happened with the mayor. I like that line. He reminds Lex that the city's not going to love him for hating Superman. And I love that snarl on Luthor's face. Lex Luthor is played by Rain Wilson, uh, probably best known for the role of Dwight Schrute in The Office. And here is, uh, we're going to meet Cat Grant here. She's, you know, she's a black woman in this, you know, nothing wrong with that. Although, uh, there was a character in the uh, post-crisis, you know, an African-American woman. Her name was Fran, that was who Lois tended to uh, call in. The story too, and she would talk to Fran. And honestly, when I saw this character, I thought it was Fran, which would have been a pretty deep cut from uh, the post-crisis Superman. I don't know if anybody other than me, you know, Mike Bailey and uh, Jeffrey Taylor, over run from Crisis to Crisis, and a bunch of others probably even remember who Fran was. And here's a. Steve Lombard uh, popping over the uh, <laughs> popping over the uh, side of the cubicle there, and uh, he's making a crude joke as Steve Lombard does. Steve Lombard focused. Steve Lombard had a very small, minuscule, really role in the post crisis, so he just kind of gets a little bit appearance there. So apparently, a lot of cat are friends here, and. Uh, Is Cat actually giving Lois relationship advice here? But Cat has this uh, Daily Planet live show that she does. I guess it's their gossip entertainment show. So that's uh, that's that. Now we're going into space. That's a beautiful shot right here. And the animation in this is very well done in here. This is a satellite. We got some astronauts doing a spacewalk. This is the crew of the Excalibur. Created by uh, Dan Jurgens, Adventures of Superman 466, I believe they made. 
their story really began. I know they appeared in the Day of the Krypton Man story in 1990. For those of you who remember that story, they uh, televised Superman's fight with Draga on the moon. But here they are, they're repairing uh, this satellite. Obviously one of them is Henshaw, That's the woman is his wife Terry. Obviously, this story is going to be very much abridged for the uh, purposes of this film. And it, this is Hank's uh, ninth trip up to uh... Now, Henshaw is played by Patrick Fabian. I think that's his name. Oh, Matt Lanter's Aquaman. I didn't realize that. Yeah, Patrick Fabian. Which is interesting. I just watched uh, Better Call Saul where Patrick Fabian is on... uh, plays the role of Howard Hamlin. Oh, and here's another post-crisis callback. Here is Lex Luthor disguised with a red wig and a red beard uh, in his look of Lex Luthor II. You know, I was really never fooled by this, having knowing what Lex Luthor the Second really is. But I thought that this disguise would go on for a little bit longer. This is would, this being how Luthor would kind of get around house arrest, just by parading around as his own son. But nope, he takes the wig and the beard off right away as soon as he kind of gets out of public view. So, we're back on the uh, satellite right now, and uh, Henshaw and his crew are getting back to the Excalibur because there is uh, some unidentified objects coming uh, their way, and this is where Doomsday is going to enter into the picture in a few minutes. And uh, by the way, uh, I feel as though I shouldn't mention this right now, but I should have mentioned this sooner, but being that I am doing a commentary, I am heavily spoiling this movie. I probably should have mentioned that a lot sooner. So here's Luthor's, uh, let's call it his space bunker. It's like mission control. He's checking out what's going on in space. He's talking tough to his people. And honestly, isn't it kind of risky for Luthor, who's supposed to be under house arrest, to be, you know, addressing his employees like this? But I guess these are his most trusted people, if Luthor trusts anybody. So he wants to crush to the next alien Ubermensch. You know, kind of a... So, anyway, back to uh, Patrick Fabian, who played Henshaw. I just finished watching the season four premiere of uh, Better Call Saul, where he plays as uh, Howard Hamlin, one of the uh, attorneys in... uh, The law firm is kind of a rival to Bob Odenkirk's character. He has played in Superman-related stuff before. I 
really want to say he was in an episode of Lois and Clark in the 90s. Give me a minute. As we watch the Excalibur uh, try to escape uh, whatever's coming their way. No, I guess he wasn't in, in an episode of Lois and Clark. I thought, I don't know why, I thought he was. Oh well. Star Trek Voyager. I know his co-star, Michael McKeon, was in not only uh, Lois and Clark, as Dr. Fabian Leake in the episode That Man. But he was also uh, Perry White in a few episodes. So here is the uh, the Excalibur getting whacked by this asteroid. This is also the asteroid carrying Doomsday to Earth. And Henshaw is very... I don't know if he's negligent because he assumes Superman is going to come and save him. But he doesn't really put forth much of an effort to get out of the way of this thing. So, you know, his, even as Doomsday's asteroid crashes into him, he thinks that's Superman coming to save him, so. Obviously, his faith in Superman was not rewarded here. And for those of us who have read the comics, we know Hank Henshaw's fate. And this is going to be, go a long way toward determining that fate. So Luthor right now is getting the uh, coordinates of where the meteor landed. So I was fooled by this segment uh, at first. We got Wonder Woman and uh, Superman fighting uh, Metallo and Cheetah on what appears to be the streets of Metropolis. Wonder Woman calls him Clark and... Superman is giving Wonder Woman a bunch of crap about calling him Clark and she's giving him a bunch of crap about wanting to be called Superman. You know, he does... You know, I don't think... Wonder Woman giving him crap for this is really in character. He has he has a secret identity to protect. She doesn't. And honestly, so many times Wonder Woman has called called him Cal. So I just doesn't ring true to him calling her Clark in the field. And it is clear that they didn't hide the fact that Wonder Woman and Superman had a previous relationship. The only film that really showed them having any kind of relationship, and it really didn't were the two Justice League movies, uh, just the end of Justice League War and uh, Justice League versus Teen Titans. I really don't remember what uh, Throne of Atlantis showed of their relationship, but it was clear that they had one. They didn't really go into it that deep. By this movie, it's clear that whatever relationship they, romantic relationship they had is over. 
they are still functioning as friends and teammates, pretty much as Wonder Woman and uh, Superman should, but. So this uh, scientist, his name is Hazelwood. I assume that is a a nod to the Adventures of Superman anchor, I want to say, Doug Hazelwood. He would uh, ink Tom Tom Grummet's pencils on Adventures of Superman. And they both moved on to the Superboy comic together. They were one of my... uh, Them and uh, Grummet and Hazelwood were my second favorite arc team of the, that post-crisis 90s uh, era. My favorite, obviously, was jer- team was Jerkins and Breeding. And here are some Atlanteans checking out the, uh, the Crash Meteorite, and we get a reference to Aquaman, who will appear in this movie as part of the Justice League. But obviously this is all set up. I mean... For those of you, and I'm sure a lot of you do remember the Death of Superman story, it was basically a six-issue slugfest, not counting the Man of Steel number 18, which was a separate Superman adventure with kind of doomsday uh, peppered in the background, uh, killing birds, crushing deer's necks, and vice versa, until the Justice League of that time shows up. And, ooh, and Doomsday just took out those two Atlanteans. But all you see is blood in the water. Surprised some sharks didn't show up. You would think at some point Hazel would get the hell out of there, but he doesn't. And... I almost expected to wait for Luthor to tell them to, uh, to stay. But they don't get out. There's Doomsday, and that's the end of Hazelwood. And that's really the end of all of them, and Luther is just kind of listening. So, so much for those guys. They're going to get dealt with by the water pressure. And they're going to float away, and Doomsday is... Just there, kind of looking around, you know, cocking his head kind of like a dog does. To, uh... That's the end of that scene, so... But yeah, back to what I was talking about Wonder Woman, so... She always called him Cal, and it's clear that Superman's affections have, as Clark, have turned back to Lois, and he gave, she gave her a bit of crap for not knowing who he is. And Luthor is still very, uh... Right now, Luthor's studying Doomsday, and he... Luthor is, thinks that this can be some competition with Superman. So here is the Hall of Justice. It's not... Quite the design we used to in Super Friends, but it's close. Close enough to be memorized. And here is a Justice League board meeting. I, I have an affection for seeing the Justice League in a board meeting. It makes them seem normal. Really, not, not much to, not much to say about the Wonder Woman board meeting, but Alright, so something else I didn't notice the first time. Only three of the four bodies were recovered from the Excalibur incident. And they're going to meet again next Thursday. And then now, after this, they're going to shoot the breeze. Same bad time, same bad channel. Batman is uh, taking next Thursday off from the board meeting. 
Oh, that's why. He had the meeting at the headmaster of Damien's school. <laughs> and I love that Green Lantern and the Flash are giving Batman shit about uh, having to deal with school. <laughs> and this thing with the Flash is... This thing with the Flash ragging on Batman is funny. As is Batman's reaction, just kind of stares at him. Yeah. You know, you don't really think of Barry Allen as a jokester. You think more of Wally West in that regard, but... But now we're talking about Flash. He's got a rehearsal dinner. And Flash is getting married, presumably to Iris West. And it's very interesting because Superman gets some advice... <laughs> I like that. Does she know about the wedding? So they're all giving Superman a little bit of grief. You can't drop a bomb like that. Flash isn't worried. You know, and this is kind of the first sign of Superman convincing, deciding that he needs to tell Lois who he is. Wonder Woman, I didn't notice that the first time. Wonder Woman is, uh, Give Superman a dirty look right there. The facial acting in the characters are uh, is very good. And Superman is just uh, kind of sitting there, just thinking about what he should do. So here's a scene everybody can relate to. This is the scene of. Uh, We've all had this uh, this experience of mom and dad embarrassing us in front, embarrassing us in front of the uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, in uh, so they're embarrassing him by regaling him with uh, regaling Lois with stories of his youth, and uh, Lois is into this because Clark doesn't tell her a lot, and. <laughs> It's very strange hearing Clark Kent say TMI. And uh, here's uh, Ma Kent uh, running down Clark's girlfriend, which is rather amusing. Uh, Talks about Lana. And I think Pa's implying that Pete is gay. And they even mention Lori Lamaris. That's, uh, That's a name you don't hear very much anymore in Superman comics. Although we should. She was one of my favorite uh, Superman love interests, you know. The idea of Superman rare <laughs> the mention of Halibut right after Laurie Lamaris is priceless. I'm really enjoying the writing in this show. And Clark is calling a taxi trying to uh, get rid of Lois, I think. And, you know, Lois is kind of, uh, you know... I think Clark wants to get Lois out of there more than she wants to leave because, you know, he is... She's upset. She's accusing him of driving distance between them. And, you know, she's right. But he is still keeping a wall up. It's like he doesn't know how to open up to her. And that makes sense. Because, you know, it's unknown at this point how far, how long he's been Superman. But if it's been some years... 
So he's built up this wall and he doesn't know how to break it down. So anyone who knows the secret becomes kind of a hole in that wall and the wall becomes weaker. So but Lois knows something is up and you know she's going home to think, presumably that uh she's thinking that they're gonna break up here. This and it kinda looks like the end. You know, we've all kind of had that fight where, uh, not really even so much of a fight, we just kind of know that if you don't do something, it's going to end. So Aquaman here sees the footsteps of Doomsday and he follows them into the night and onto the land and into the woods, which... Which is presumably some kind of, uh, Park. National Park, State Park, I don't know. But we're back in the city. Perry, that's not Perry, that's Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan is sleeping on the chair. Martha is coming to see Clark on the porch. The uh, closed captioning called her Mary, but she's Martha. Now Ma is pointing out that the secrets aren't as uh, important, maybe because they're getting old and I think she's realizing that, you know, when they're gone, Clark is going to need someone else to share his life and his secrets with. And I think this, combined with The Flash getting married, I think this is pushing Clark toward telling Lois in... Clark says here that he's never been alone since the day his parents took him in, but, you know, his parents know that he's not, they're not going to be there forever, and, you know, it's something no child, I don't want to deal with it. I certainly don't want to think about the time when, well, at least my mother is gone, um, I don't really have, uh, the relationship with my father that I would, that I really care much how long he hangs around. I hate to say that, but it's not untrue. So, we're at this campground now, and, uh, there's a bear, uh, stealing their, uh, their picnic baskets. No, this is not Jellystone, and this bear is definitely not Yogi. And these, uh, this young couple here, they are, uh, the guy and the girl are scared crapless, and, uh, someone just died in front of her, and she's got a whole ton of blood on her. And... That's all the bear just died right in front of her, and she's uh, terrified as Doomsday walks up to her. And there's her boyfriend in Doomsday's left arm, and, uh, well, she's scared uh, to death, and uh, there's the hand, and she's not long for this world. The scream signifies that she is gone. Meanwhile, at the Daily Planet, the next day, there's Cat waiting for Lois. She brought Lois a coffee. Because apparently Lois needs the coffee because she just had a rough day with Clark. Alright, so Cat is digging for dirt on Lois and Clark. And uh, Clark is going to uh, show up in a few minutes. Uh, and there, and there he is. Clark shows up. 
right. Then the hallway, Lois is going to bring him some coffee. Lois kind of, ah, she's caught with coffee already. You know, Kat asked if she should leave, and you know what, maybe uh, Clark should have said yes, and not say, no, uh, Kat, you can hang out. Alright, so this is kind of important here. Lois says they're going to meet around 2 o'clock, and Clark's Justice League communicator goes off, at least on his cell phone. And he says, where to meet? And he leaves. <laughs> I love Kat's reaction. But, alright, let's pay attention here to when we see Clark or Superman again, and, you know. And Cat. Oh, okay, so here is, uh. They. I don't understand why. She's getting the report of, uh. I don't know. I don't necessarily like the fact that Superman is kind of uh, blowing this off because of what's happening here. You know, she says the League can probably handle what they have, but you know what? Superman should really be checking this out, even if there's trouble in his zone. I guess I wasn't observant enough when I watched it last night that... I didn't really know why. Uh, maybe I got up to go get some popcorn or something. I don't know. But here, here is Doomsday uh, trash in the town. This is Doomsday being Doomsday. And here are the police. They're shooting. Not really much to say about this. You know, Doomsday is still in his uh, green jumpsuit. And uh, these police, as uh, these cops are about to shoot an oil tank that's going to blow up. And... Uh, Knocks them down. This guy kind of, this one cop kind of reminds me of uh, Reginald uh, Vell Johnson of, uh, you know, most people know him from Family Matters. I know him best from Die Hard. And uh, here's a girl with her uh, phone, old style phone, not really a standard smartphone. But she is uh, going live on Facebook or something, uh, getting an image of. Uh, Doomsday uh, beating the hell out of these cops, and I really thought this was going to be it for this girl. Uh, but no, Hawkman comes and uh, gives a Doomsday a face full of Thanagarian uh, mace and whacks the hell out of him. Now, the one thing that's going to be a little disappointing about the Justice League fighting Doomsday is that we're not going to see a lot of multiple members of the League fighting Doomsday at once. They all kind of Go at them one-on-one at a time. Maybe that's just a limit in what they could do with the animation. But everybody kind of fights Doomsday one at a time. Here is uh, Hawkman getting uh, his turn to get his ass kicked. (laughs) But before that, I want to mention Batman saving this girl, telling uh, the kid uh, that she'll be alright. But I really thought that a girl uh, doing her live video was going to be a goner, but uh, she... uh, it was nice to see her saved by a Hawkman. And Batman is trying to coordinate. Now Green Lantern's going to take his turn as Doomsday crushes the cop car. 
Oh, and there he goes. Uh, he's put down by uh, the green uh, construct here, and it's doom right here. It's Doomsday's strength versus Green Lantern's willpower, and this obviously is Hal Jordan. And apparently, Doomsday's brute strength is more powerful than Hal Jordan's will. So Hal is going to get his uh, clocks pretty. Cleaned pretty well, and Doom's are just gonna kind of pound the hell out of them. You know, <clears throat> this is not the Justice League that appeared in uh, the Doomsday storyline. The Justice League that appeared in that story was the League of the Time, which was the aftermath of the Waha League. But it was Superman, it was Blue Beetle, Bloodwind, who was later revolved. Revealed to be the Martian Manhunter in disguise. Booster Gold, Guy Gardner, Fire and Ice, Maxima. So, But each... Uh, no Flash during that Doomsday fight. And here's Flash getting his licks in now at super speed. Thinking that maybe that can... Uh, a lot of punches thrown at super... And a lot of wax with Hawkman's mace. But nope, that's not having any effect either. And uh, Doomsday catches him and uh, with one punch and sends him reading into a wall and... That's it for him. And Batman is doing what Batman does. He's just providing a distraction. Batman is, uh, you know, kind of just being a distraction. There's not really much Batman can do. Now, the closed captioning said three leaders were down, but I'm sure he said three leaders down. But now we're going to get a break in the action to set up something else from the next movie, and here's Dabney Donovan, who nobody has seen in a comic book since the 90s, that I know of. But here are the, his creatures, and these uh, that tanks really remind me of the DN aliens that he created in the, po- in the 90s Superman stuff that led to the Underworlders which were a huge staple of the Man of Steel book after Superman wrapped up the uh, Cerberus serial killer in issue 13. And we do see one of the uh, DNA aliens. This is called the Prototype. We don't see anything of it, but we see some black hair and Obviously, this is going to be Superboy eventually in the Reign of the Superman movie. For those of you who remember Reign of the Superman, the Fourth Superman, the Eradicator, Cyborg Superman, Superboy, and Steel. Now back to the battle. Batman is trying to uh, not get killed, but he gets a. Even Batman has to have trouble with a mobile home being thrown at him. Or whatever that is. But his little back grenades seem to be doing uh, not much other than. Uh, Blowing up Doomsday's clothes. And it growls at him. And while this is going on, really, after Batman is called for backup, Lois and Clark are having lunch. And and Clark and Bibbo and Clark and Lois really want Bibbo to go away right here at the Ace of Clubs. Bivo is laying it in very hard with the Superman references.
So here's Lois and Clark having their big conversation. Clark has some explaining to do after the way he behaved uh, last night when she was meeting his parents. <laughs> and I love how Lois uh, jumps right to the wrong conclusion about how uh, they're breaking up and and here it is. This is going to be the reveal. Not the It's not going to be the best reveal in the world. And he basically tells her, I'm Superman in his best I'm Batman voice. And Lois cracks up. Probably not the reaction he was going for. But I really like what comes next. He takes off the glasses and just tells her to look at him. And she looks right into his eyes and and you just see it in her eyes they get all white. She sees Superman's eyes in Clark. And Lois is processing this very fast. I really like how Rebecca Romaine plays this. <laughs> I love this last question about them being <laughs> really his parents. And I think Lois is saying this a little bit loud. Maybe he should have done this someplace a little more private. But, you know, Clark is saying all the right things. Oh. And he mentions that there's something else to be keeping secret and, uh... And I bet she's wondering, what else could he possibly keeping secret at this point? And uh, she gets a call from Jimmy right now, because Jimmy wants them on the chopper. There's a monster heading toward Metropolis, and he's taking out half the Justice League. And Clark has heard this, and I love how he pays the bill bef before he leaves. Alright, so here he is. Here's Clark going, uh, takes off the glasses, kind of throws them to the side. And we get a shirt rip. And it's a pretty good shirt rip. But where does the where does he put the collar when he's Clark? And there we go. Superman is going into action. And I really like the way she's looking at him. Obviously, the last secret is I love you. And here comes the chopper. And I will be honest. I... No, not here. I didn't do it here. I'll get to it later when it happens. It and now Aquaman is fighting Doomsday and having little to no success. Oh, here's a little bit two-on-one action. Really love seeing the Martian Manhunter back in the Justice League. I really miss Jean being part of the League. He was kind of sidelined at the birth of the New 52 in favor of Cyborg. And he really hasn't got back in. But there was a moment where Bloodwind read Doomsday's mind to basically see that he was violent and he personified. And... We need the Martian Manhunter to fulfill that here. And Martian Manhunter gets thrown into a gas station, which is basically what happened in the comics, as I recall. And he's in a lot of pain, and he's about to go down. And <laughs> Batman is still staying far away from this thing, because he doesn't want to get his uh, plot cleaned. But he is bleeding, so some stuff must have gotten to him. 
I guess the mobile home did that, and uh, now a truck is being thrown at Batman. You know, Batman is really out of his element here. And Doomsday is, you know, losing his clothes at the very least. These, the league is not doing anything to slow him down. But now at some point here, Wonder Woman is going to show up. Cyborg looks like, uh... He's seen better days. His arm is missing, and he's about to fall over. It's kind of like Robocop operating at 20% efficiency. Here's Wonder Woman, who looks like she got the hell beat out of her, but we haven't seen her throw a single punch in this movie. So. so Alright, now Wonder Woman is going to start fighting Doomsday now herself. Batman whispers, we need you, Clark. At this point, Superman has already received the phone call. Or Lois has received the phone call, really. But he's, we've already seen him fly off. And I'm really getting to the point where it's like, where is he? What is taking him so long to get to this? And one of the things we did see in the original Doomsday story is that... There was one issue, Superman 74, where he fought alongside Justice League. And we don't really get any of that in this movie. I love this. Uh, her hair goes down and she looks all uh, almost feral as she tries to fight Doomsday. And uh, she tries to compel him to surrender with her last time. I'm not sure... I thought the last one compelled you to tell the truth. I don't think I didn't know what compelled you to do what Wonder Woman wanted you to do. Well, either way, it didn't work. So here's here's Wonder Woman, a far cry from the uh, Justice League War moment where she screamed and proclaimed the gloriousness of ice cream, and Doomsday just gave her a face plant into the ground. And she tries to stab him with her sword, and she's shocked to see that the sword shattered in her hand. And here she getting pounded into the ground. And he's just throwing punches. There can't be much left to her at, at this point. So there she goes. Her pig sticker is gone, and that's it. That's a, and he's his doomsday about to stab her. And... Meet Vision, and here is Superman. It's about time. Nice, nice musical uh, from when Superman shows up. Here's the one moment. You look, he holds up Diana and, and says he should have gotten here sooner. And what I said when I watched this, you're damn right you should have gotten here sooner. So now, I'll be honest, this was the only time I checked the time on the movie to see how much was left. And it was because I was bored, but it was because I was wondering how much time there was left for the fight. Because, and I'm checking the time right here, right about the 54 minute mark in the movie, which means it's an 80 minute movie, so about 26 minutes, I want to say. 
if my math is correct. So, and that's the thing, you know, you'd love to see the action, but with the stuff we've seen, with the emotional stuff about Superman, about Clark wanting to tell Lois who he is and the relationship, that's the most, for me, the character stuff is the most compelling. The action is the least compelling. I mean, the action, you know, while the action is good, I have no complaints about the action, but at the end of the day, it's just a big fight. So there's really not as much to dig into as they fight, although I do love watching them fight. I really like this moment with, with Bibbo. He's got all the confidence in the world in Superman. And I like that Bibbo is going to do something very Superman-ish and offer shelter to the people in his restaurant if they have nowhere to go. And now here's Lois uh, coins the name Doomsday. And obviously she's playing up Superman. And Luthor is going into this underground bunker. I really like Rain Wilson the flex. And, you know, Luthor is uh, kind of wondering about what will create Doomsday. He's. I mean, when you think about it, who would create something like this? Obviously, we know where Doomsday comes from if we've read enough of the comics. But. Why would you create something you can't control? So, Luthor is going to go find his, uh... Get his Lexo suit, and, uh... We'll save for later what happens with that. I'm sure you've seen this movie. And there's a reference to Superman as the caped wonder. That is definitely a reference to Superman the movie and the headline, uh, Caped Wonder... Stunned the city, which was on the cover of the Daily Planet after Superman made his first appearance. And there's the first appearance in this movie of the uh, Lex Luthor's power suit, or Lexo suit, as Supergirl called it. Here's a bridge that is very reminiscent of the Brooklyn Bridge, and here's a kid playing his video game. His uh, frustrated mother is changing the station, and I really like this uh, little Superman thing on the dashboard. And shouldn't that kid be in the back seat? But, you know, everybody's trying to get away because. Here comes Superman and Doomsday flying into the car and onto the bridge. And Superman is uh, quite worse for wear here. He is... uh, His suit is is shattered, and uh, I really like this, where uh, Doomsday throws the car into Superman, and he protects the woman in the one car by holding the other car off, and Doomsday is just beating Superman like uh, Clark owes him money, as Mike Bailey would say. But this fight is brutal, as it should be. Superman is using every uh, power that he has, and uh, he's not faring very well. He's getting the crap kicked out of him, for really lack of a better term. Of course, nowadays, if somebody shooting video on their smartphone, you know, I'd get the hell out of here. You know, it may look appealing as uh, 
Doomsday uh, stomps, a, stomps a mud hole in Superman. You can really use some WWE announcers for this fight. Now here come the cable for the bridge, which aren't holding up to this fight at all, and they shouldn't. And people are finally getting at it. I really like this. Superman is taking the cable for the bridge and using it to wrap up Doomsday. Doomsday looks good. He looks scary. He doesn't really look a ton like the comics version. He looks enough like Doomsday that you can identify it as Doomsday, but he kind of looks like this white-haired space vampire, almost. Just very monstrous. I'm still partial to the way he looks as drawn by Dan Jurgens. I mean, nobody really draws him as well as Jurgens does. And, of course, here is uh, the kid going back for his toy in, pre in previous versions. They'd go back for a stuffed animal, but nope, this kid is going back for his uh, portable video game. And Superman hears the kid is in trouble. It does what Superman does and comes and saves him. Well, fortunately for him, Doomsday just kind of uh, sits around and uh, waits for Superman to get done doing what he's doing. I really like this moment between Superman and the kid. Superman tells him everything's going to be okay, which is probably a hard sell. Superman looking like he's uh, getting his ass kicked. Of course, the kid comes back and uh, hugs Superman. A really great moment here. And Superman hugs him back, you know. That's what Superman should do. Now, stop hugging him, lady, and get the kid off that bridge. Oh, Doomsday is uh, we're just sitting there waiting. Nice of him. Now, the th Doom Superman throws a boat at Doomsday, and Doomsday's doing a lot of roaring, uh, which screams that would put Henry Cavill to shame. And this bridge is really taking a beating. <laughs> People sitting there shooting their, their videos. <laughs> I really love that they... The attention to detail they're putting that in. Up and there goes the uh, little uh, lens, and now they're in the city. Here comes the helicopter. Superman is not looking good is uh, a nice way of saying Superman is getting his ass kicked. Oh, and now his face is getting punched. Oh, Doomsday sees the helicopter, and he yells at it, as you know, as you do when you see a helicopter. And you throw Superman at it. Because, why not? I'd have to look at Superman 75 and see if Doomsday threw Superman at the helicopter then. I want to say he did. But Superman has to catch the helicopter while uh, Doomsday seemingly waits. Lois could really use a bark bag right about now. But he puts him right down on the roof. And here's a nice quiet moment of Superman. In pain, he is... Well, here's a callback to the who's got me, who's got you stuff. I really like this. But Lois has got Cole in the cavalry. basically says he's it. Which is... Basically a short way of saying everything he said to Superman 75. You know, she doesn't want him to to go back after Doomsday, but here's the look. I have to go back to work. You know, I think this is the moment where Superman realizes that this fight might kill him. And I love this shot of Superman 
swinging the what's that piece of helicopter. I have to do like a baseball bat, and here he is. You know, he's doing his best to try to get Doomsday away from the city, but it's not really working. And this is kind of reminiscent of the Man of Steel fight where Superman just throws punches. And now Doomsday's got Superman's cape and he's twirling him around. Honestly, the. Oh, and those headbutts have got to hurt. The one thing I liked about the fight in Superman Doomsday was how Superman just kind of flew Doomsday up into space and then kind of. Knocked them out, took him out by punching him down, by pushing him down into the earth, and they crash, and there goes some glass. You know, if this were live action or directed by Zack Snyder, there'd be a lot more destruction. I personally never had a problem with the destruction in Man of Steel, but a lot of people did. You know, I've always been of the opinion what do you think would happen if beings of this power level fought? And now, here is Luthor showing up in his Alexo suit. Of course, he wants the camera rolling because his ego wants the world to see that Lex Luthor is going to beat Doomsday. And Luthor's obviously putting down the Justice League, and here we are, we're moving on to in front of the Hall of Justice, so apparently in this movie... The Hall of Justice is in Metropolis. In Super Friends, there's some kind of... Well, I don't know if anybody's really debating it, but I think I do. Debate where the Hall of Justice actually is. So Lex Luthor and his ego will not allow anybody else to destroy Metropolis other than him. I mean, he does love Metropolis in his own way, but he wants to possess it in a way Superman does not. And one thing Doomsday would love is to succeed but Superman failed. And this movie kind of took the uh, Batman v Superman idea of Doomsday having heat vision, which I can take it or leave it, I'll be honest. But either way, uh, yeah, Lex Luthor, he's supposed to win. Says who, other than him. And here's, and this is about to be the end of Lex Luthor, but... Here comes the one thing that really sticks in Luthor's craw, is that he gets saved by Superman. Not a word between them. And as, as Luthor flies, Superman flies away, Luthor says no. Screams no, and it's not because he's worried for Superman's safety. The one thing Luthor does not want is Superman defeating this creature. He wants to defeat it. That way he can be looked upon as Superman, as Metropolis' savior, obviously. That is a very Lex Luthor thing. That is a very egotistical thing. Oh, Superman is looking all kinds of worse for wear here. His uniform is in tatters. Although his cape is alright. But he's bleeding. And here they go. Collision course. Ooh, and they give, deliver some hard punches and the sheer force of the blows destroys the Hall of Justice and probably knocks Lois and Jimmy up on their, uh, up away. And they're going punch for punch here right now, you know. Kind of reminds me of that line from Superman 75, like, weary boxers that have gone the distance. And this fight, 
you know, it looks like it's over for Superman right here. Because he's struggling to get up, and Doomsday looks fine. I really wish they'd gone with in this movie Superman kicking the bone off of Doomsday's knee. But meanwhile, he's just getting choked by Doomsday and getting stomped on the back of the head and the cape thrown. Obviously, that's going to create the flag moment. But I really like this. Here's Lois throwing a rocket Doomsday and getting his attention. Getting him to take his attention off Superman for a minute to give him the man she loves uh, a minute to catch his breath. And she throws the first rock to get his attention and she drops it because she knows. She can't do anything with that rock and she got the note. Doomsday's making the long march toward Lois. Which he probably wouldn't do. You would think he would just kind of super speed and uh, knock her into the next uh, life, but she doesn't. And she loves him too. She is. It almost makes you wonder, would Superman have gotten up like this without Lois there? I like to think that he would have, but... You know, this movie kind of makes that a question. And there's that big blade on Doomsday's hand... So we kind of know what's coming here. He's about to run Lois through with it, and... He flies at Doomsday with such force that it... Basically snaps Doomsday's neck, I think? Twists his head all the way around, and... Somehow, in... This... Sequence of events... Superman ends up run through by Doomsday. Similar to, uh... No, actually not similar exactly the way he was in, uh... Batman v Superman. So. So he's down and we get... The death scene. The final words from the comics, is he... Dialogue here is almost word for word Superman 75. So Superman gets a few extra words and good, it's all he ever wanted. And he wanted her. And the way he's phrased is what a lucky man I was. He knows that his life is over. Eyes closed and he's gone. And, you know, everyone's crying, sobbing. I am too, a little bit. And, well, nice little Justice League to show up here. They finally uh, got their acts together. You only see Green Lantern and uh, Wonder Woman and Batman. Oh, and there's the rest of them on the right there. As Lois cries over the phone, Superman. There is the... Cape flopping in the uh, on the flagpole, very uh, famous image originally drawn by Dan Jurgens and the very famous cover to Superman seventy five. And here's the shots around the world. Everybody's witnessing the death of Superman. I think that's the same kid from the bridge. There's Bibbo. 
apparently nobody took Bilbo up in his offer because everybody's gone home. So obviously we speed uh, we speed through the funeral <clears throat> when the death of Superman story was written in the nineties. The let's call a spade a spade here. The uh, really heartbreaking to see the Kents kind of being told to have to take a step back from uh, from the funeral. Ugh, so. So anyway, what was that? Oh yeah, when they created the Death of Superman storyline, the it was obvious their goal was to explore what Superman meant to the world, basically by removing him from it. So the main crux of that story was the funeral for a friend story. That was the main uh, meat of the Death and Return of Superman. You know, the Doomsday storyline kind of gets, uh, and Doomsday himself kind of gets shrugged off as a plot device, but really that's all Doomsday was. That's all Doomsday was supposed to be. He was something to kill Superman so they could tell the funeral for a friend story. So, Luthor Luthor gets credit for giving Superman the time to uh, save everybody. Really, that credit should go to Lois, but I guess nobody knows that. Lois does, obviously. Luthor is making a speech, and a uh, Mayor Booker. I don't know if that's a reference to anybody in Superman comics or creators. I don't think so. There is nothing true in what Luthor is saying here. He'll miss the late night chats on the balcony. Wonder Woman looks like she wants to put a hole in him. And here's the Paul Bearer. It looks like cops and firemen. Military men should really be the Justice League doing this, but they're not. Oh, uh, by the way, a Batman is not at the funeral. He is at home in his uh, sweatpants being controlled by Damien, and I believe that's his dog. that was his dog, Titus, that we saw. It must really gall Lex to be doing what he's doing right now. I like this moment here where Green Lantern is uh, lighting the green flame in the tomb as we get to reveal the statue. It harkens back to, I want to say, Superman 83 when they're cleaning up the uh, destruction of Coast City. Engine City. And Superman lights the eternal flame on the Coast City site. Here's a very touching moment of uh, Bibbo saying, you know, saying the Hail Mary in honor of Superman. This was a very powerful scene in, uh, at the end of, I want to say, Action Comics 684. Where he, that's why Superman will be allowed to die. And he goes on. And I'll be honest, there's a part of me that really wished the movie ended here on this. And it does fade to black. 
and then we get her. Then all of a sudden we go right to Star Labs, which, and maybe something, maybe all of this stuff could have been post, could have been mid credit scenes, because now we're really the death of Superman's story has already ended with uh, Bibbo. It did fade to black after Bibbo said his Hail Mary, but I don't know. Maybe you go to the bleeding ass after that and uh, maybe start the credits. And then you can go to these uh, scenes here of uh, Luthor chewing out Dr. Clyburn here. Who we saw as uh, working on Superman's ship. And here's Superman's ship right now. It's flying away. Ugh. <sighs> up, is it going up, up, and away? So the ship is leaving. Now we got Lois it's walking past Clark's desk. Maybe this should have been a little bit earlier. This scene perhaps should have been a little bit earlier in the movie. You know, I don't think Lois knows what to, uh, do about Clark being missing. Cat is going to go with the Superman being Clark being missing as part of the battle. You know, maybe uh, the DC movies could have gone with this instead of you know declaring Clark dead. Oh, that this is why uh, this couldn't be earlier in the movie because here we are. Here is the tomb ending. The tomb was ripped open from the inside, it looks like. And the coffin is open. The body is gone. And there's a caped figure hovering above and flies away. And that's where the movie ends. The movie proper ends, written by Peter J. Tomasi. Who I really enjoyed his run on Superman. I don't know much about Sam Register, the executive producer, or James Tucker. Probably Sam Liu uh, produced and directed. Actually, he directed quite a few of the most recent uh, Warner Animation films. Frederick Weeman did alright with this movie. But there are a few post-credit scenes. Here's the cast. Jerry Connell as O'Connell as Superman. Rebecca Romaine as Lois. Rain Wilson as Lex. Rosario Dawson was Wonder Woman. I believe she's done that a few times. Nathan Fillion is everyone's favorite Green Lantern. Gorm- Matt Lanter is Aquaman. I really don't know a lot about some of these other actors. Chris Williams is John Henry Irons. Uh, Chris Williams, he appeared in Lois and Clark as Baron Sunday. I believe that was season three episode. And he'll also He's also the uh, lead on... Uh, he also plays the role of Black Lightning on CW's Black Lightning. Okay, so there's another quick scene of... That's the kid leaving Cadmus. So we're getting all of our little mid credit scenes to... Set up the, uh, the four Supermen for the next film. But like I said, I really do like that... I really wish the movie proper had ended on... Bibbo saying his prayer on the dock. I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't do 
the bit with Lex and Lois as a post as a, as a credit scene, and here's uh, John Henry uh, making his steel armor in honor of Superman. Obviously, in the comics, he was buried underneath so the rubble during the fight. Not here. So he is heavily inspired by Superman. And he was the one of the four Supermen who never actually said he was Superman. Now we're just getting a listing of all these animators and people who are involved in this movie. We got a few more uh, clips coming up. <clears throat> so, I'm not sure what's going to be next on the Man of Screen Extra. Check uh, Facebook and Twitter to find out what my next extra episode will be. I obviously I didn't have a San Diego, San Diego Comic Con episode this year because there was nothing much to report as far as Superman goes from Comic Con. There's some. All right, here we go. Here's the ship landing in the Arctic and it's going to create another Richard Donner fortress, which. After 40 years, I'm getting a little tired of this aesthetic, but that's clearly the Eradicator. Alright, so what was I saying? Yes, feedback, manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, you can put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed, and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. And if you don't mind, why don't you send me a review on uh, Apple Podcasts? That'll help others find the show. Alright, so with that, I got, just got that all, all out of the way as the uh, credits come to an end. I think we have one more scene coming up. I believe. Here's our final. Yeah, here we go. We got some, we got space. And here's the cyborg Superman flying towards space. And I like how he's flying and his S kind of Faked into the ble- into the bleeding ass and did the WB animation logo and the movie's out. My uh, copy has ended. So this movie, uh, at least according to the information I've got here on uh, Voodoo, eighty percent Rotten Tomatoes. Not that I, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I don't pay a ton of attention to uh, Rotten Tomatoes, but you know, it's good to see that the critics all seem to have liked this. I really liked it. I know quite a few of my Superman uh, related friends have liked it, so. I'm hoping that if you're listening to this uh, commentary, you have watched the film and liked it as well. So let me know what you think. Uh, I'm interested to hear your takes as well. Manascreen at gmail.com. Until next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Manascreen Podcast is produced by Mike Demo. All opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and samples used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and samples are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on itunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the man of screen podcast